Just wanted to see if you were awake. That's all that was. Sorry about that. Well, hey, welcome to Outpost Community Church. If we have not met, my name is Greg. I have the privilege of being the pastor here uh, with this crew. I think it might be way high and hot. I don't know how you guys feel. I feel really loud. Um, well, cool. Well, hey, glad you guys are here. I want to do a few housekeeping things, a little family matters before we launch in. First of all, we had a, a pile of uh, women together talking about delighting God's word. How many women were, you, were there? Are any of you in the room? Let's go. A lot. Uh, it was a ton of fun. A good friend of mine, Emma, who's here, she got to kind of share uh, a little bit of her story and talk about how to study the Bible, which is really exciting. Ashley shared her testimony of what God's done in her life, which is really cool. And so uh, what a cool thing. Hopefully it was a blessing and a good time for you guys. I'm thankful for that. Uh, also, I want to let you guys know about the Spiritual Growth Assessment, the SGA. So I've gotten some feedback about it and some conversations. I want to just provide a little more clarity of what this is about um, uh, you know, why we're sending this to you. What does that have to do with our membership process? So we've been very clear, very open that our membership is for one year. So when you become a member, you're a member uh, until January 1. And January 1, we go to zero members, okay? Uh, we're not all about the numbers, but what we're trying to be about is the vision and the mission of Jesus. And so we do that to kind of keep our vision and mission white hot and give you an opportunity as members, if you're a member of Outposts, to decide and pray with your family and to think and say, do I still believe in the vision and mission of Outpost Community Church? Do I still trust this leadership team and do I want to run with these people? Okay, it's your opportunity to do that. And so the first part of the spiritual growth assessment is just answering, do you still want to continue to be a member at Outpost? Okay, because becoming a member here is not the same as being a member with Christ. When you become saved, you're saved forever with Jesus. You become a member of Outpost, look, Outpost is not going to exist one day and that's going to be totally fine. All right, and so are you still wanting to do that? So there's that aspect for one. And then the, the spiritual growth uh, assessment side of it is a way for you guys and us to kind of interact, to find out information of how you're doing. This is not any ploy of legalism to tr find out if you're a good guy or a good gal or a bad one, okay? But really to see how are we doing as a church and growing and what do we need to focus on this year to come and help out our body be fully devoted followers of Jesus. That's what it's for. And the reason why we say, hey, please have that filled out or else, not or else, um, that sounds really harsh. I wanted to say it with my voice because an email can be confusing. Um, the reason why we're saying please have that filled out by January 28th is because January 28th, we're having a members night and we implore, we beg, we command all of our members to come together for that night. It is a ton of fun and it's a members only night for Outposts to come together, to be reminded, to be encouraged. And so if you're if, you know, after 28 days into the year, you still have not filled that out, it's kind of like saying, I don't want to be a member here. Does that make sense? So we're giving you plenty of time to decide, is this what you want to do? And it gives us feedback on how to shepherd and care for you well. The questions in there are not meant to, we're not coming to you showing, oh, you haven't read your Bible? How darest thou? Okay, that's not how it's going to go, uh, but it gives us some ideas. So please know that. I know there's been some tension, and I've got some really good feedback about that, but just know that. Okay, does that make sense? Are we good here? All right, if you have any more questions about that, please come talk to us. It's not going to be combative. We would love to hear your feedback and what you're thinking through and praying through with the spiritual growth assessment. All right? So fill it out, okay? That's basically it. And let's pray. We're going to go into our message, uh, third one in this series, and I'm excited about it. So Father, thank you so much that salvation is not about a one-time event. 
Salvation also includes our sanctification, a constant putting away of the old man and growing into the image of Jesus. I'm so thankful for all my friends in this room who want to help me become more like you. And they get to be a part of a local family where I'm equipped, I'm encouraged, I'm cared for, I'm corrected, and I'm loved and spurred on to good deeds. And I pray that this morning I'll be able to do the same. May your word encourage us and may the gospel be sweet this morning as we talk about it and discuss how to be a city on a hill. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so we've been in a series uh, that we're calling City on a Hill, and we're talking about, uh, you know, uh, Jesus talks about in Matthew about, uh, you know, being a city on a hill. It's something that cannot be hidden. You know, a lamp, we don't light a lamp in our house to shine our house and then cover it with a basket. Uh, It's something that we let our light shine before others that they may see our good deeds, right, and glorify their Father, the God of the cosmos in heaven. And so we're talking about what are the four things... If you're looking at Cody and Cody culture, if you saw these four things in a church, you'd go, man, now that is bright, or that is salty. That's like a city on a hill. That's, that's uh, hope and healing. That's something that's a vision of uh, renewal and refuge. What would that look like? And so the first thing we talked about was love, okay? And that we should be known for our love for one another. When you see a group of people who just really love one another in an agape type love, it is stands out. It is something different. Last week, we talked about that we reconcile our stuff. We talk about the things. If I hurt you, you're going to come talk to me. We confess sin and we make amends and we work through those things. And that can be a city on a hill. And today we're talking about the gospel. All right. Which is weird. My father-in-law, who my, uh, my family's here and they're getting to be here. And my father-in-law was like, hey, what are you teaching on? And I said, the gospel. And it sounded really rude. But the reality is we're talking about what is the gospel today? What is it? And then how do we share it? We think, our leadership team thinks that a third way that we could be a city on a hill is that we know the gospel and we actually share it with others. Now, this, that seems like a weird thing to tell the church, all right, to spur you on to talk about the greatest news you've ever heard about that's transformed your life. You've got to encourage us to do it, but it really is, it pops, it stands out when you see a church actually talk to the friends and neighbors about the gospel, all right? Because I don't know about you, but people are scary. Anybody agree? Right? We get a little anxious about it. So today we're going to talk about the gospel. And, uh, you know, the thing about the gospel is kind of like the game Ticket to Ride. Anybody ever play Ticket to Ride? You like Ticket to Ride? That's what I'm talking about. Come by my house. I'm not ultra competitive, but you will lose. Okay? But here's the Ticket to Ride board. This is the American one. We're going to turn the lights off so you can get a clear vision of the best game you'll ever play. Um, so, as you can see, if, you, if you've never seen the game, you can tell this is still America. It's a train game, and you've got to connect the dots, basically, okay? So if you've got to go to Seattle on the West Coast, get all the way to New York on the East Coast, there's a lot of dots, a lot of stops you've got to make to get all the way across. Can you see that? Does that make sense? All right, you, Zach, you can flip those back on. It's the same with the gospel. The gospel is something that is very simple. We have children who've given their life to Jesus all right, and who have enjoyed the benefits of the gospel, they can understand it. But it's all, you know, I, I've heard people say like the gospel is shallow enough that a toddler can play, uh, play in it, but deep enough that a theologian can drown. Today we're just going to talk about the steps in the gospel. We're going to go from the point A to point B, and there's a lot of stops we got to make along the way. So I'm going to give you seven stops. Okay, you ready for this? I hope you have a pen or uh, and something to write on, or maybe something in your phone. Um, But you're going to see these on the screen. We're going to make seven stops. And at every stop, I'm going to give you two verses that I want to encourage you to memorize. I know you guys are like, man, we're three weeks in. Greg has given us 30 verses to memorize. And I want to tell you, this is the year that you find out that you have a memory and that you can use it to memorize Scripture. Okay? 
I'm going to give you two verses at every single stop. And I want to tell you, the first stop that we're going to make is the most important stop. It's the most important stop. Knowing the very beginning is the most important stop because we cannot talk about the rest unless you understand this first thing. And what is the first thing? The first thing is this. All have sinned. Say it with me. All have sinned. Okay. All have sinned. Romans 3.23. Here's the first verse. Maybe you already know it. It says, For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Okay. Uh, glory of God. What is the glory of God? Well, the glory of God is his holiness and his righteousness. Our God is a God who is purely holy, purely righteous and good. There is nothing in him that is tainted or wrong whatsoever, not to a single degree. He is holy. If you remember my analogy last week, our God is like the sun at the center of our galaxy, all right? He is inapproachable light, and you are an astronaut. There is no hope for you of touching the sun. You're not going to make it. You can't get there. And the reason why you can't get there is for all have sinned. Now, what is sin? So I'm, I'm going to tell you, remember what I said, I'm going to explain the whole gospel. I'm gonna, we're going to remind ourselves of what it is so we can get to talking about what, uh, how we can share with others. And one of the things we really got to understand is what is sin? Think for a second in your head. What is sin? You know what I found? I've got a degree in Christian studies. I've gotten, gotten a master's level education in, some, in theology and all that. One thing I found to be really hard to define is sin. And I think part of the reason why it's really hard to define is because of the emotional and mental images that come up for us when we think of sin, right? It can kind of come across as this legalistic, judgy thing. Am I right? If you ever somebody, you're a sinner, you'd be like, well, screw you, you know? Um, and so it's this weird kind of thing. And so our emotions get in the way, especially when the person who's telling you you're a sinner and explaining sin is also a sinner. You go, well, you're a hypocrite. Right? And you're like, you're right. So just newsflash, my name is Greg Brooks, and I am a sinner. Okay? I am a sinner. I hope that doesn't surprise you, but I'm a sinner. And so what I'm going to try to do, I'm going to give you a few images that help define sin to you, um, and I'm going to try to detach them from my inability to not sin. Okay? So the first thing you need to know, sin is kind of like a target. We've got a lot of men in here who like to hunt. Anybody in here shoot targets? Okay? Think of it like an archery target. All right? Archery target. What's at the very middle? The bullseye, right? There is a spot that is the perfect center of the bullseye or of the target. And outside we've got rings to that thing, right? Just measuring your inability to hit the target. That's all it is. And so um, sin is kind of like a target. There is a perfect spot. There is a getting it right. And sin is like the rings on the outside signaling that you're off. And however many rings out you are, that's how off you are. It's like being off. Sin is also like cancer. Sin is like cancer. It's something that's inside of us, in our flesh, that is maybe convincing our body, convincing our flesh to turn in on against itself. And it grows within us, and it's going to lead to our death. It's going to destroy us, and it is destroying us. Sin is also like a computer virus, okay? It's something that, you know, you, you have this body of flesh, but within you there's spirit and this mind, this heart and this mind, all right? So consider your body kind of the hardware and consider your mind and your heart, which are deeply connected, as the software. And it's like your software has been corrupted. You go to click this key and expect this to show up on the screen and something else shows up, all right? Mentally, 
you're not focused, you're not thinking the way you want, and it's turning your mind in directions that go the wrong way. That's what sin is like. Now, here's the thing about those definitions. All analogies break down at some point. You can go, well, you know what? God didn't give me a good enough bow to hit that target. Or the wind picked up. It's not my fault. Or somebody moved the target on me. Or you say, well, I, I got cancer. It just happened to me. Or I just caught a computer virus. It was an accident. I didn't even mean to. And so this is the fourth thing you need to understand about sin. Sin is a choice to go astray. Sin is a personal choice to go astray. Isaiah 53, 6 says this, all we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. In Romans 3, 23, you know, he says all in the Greek for that all is, anybody want to know in the English? It's all. It means everybody. And right here he says everyone. In Hebrew, you know what everyone is? I don't know, but I'm sure it's everyone. Everyone has gone astray. It's a choice that we make to go astray. So understand something. Murder and death, starvation, strapping bombs to cripples, rape, thievery, lying, cheating, abandonment, manipulation, white lies, individualism, isolation, suicide, and sexual perversion are all sinful choices or results of sinful choices that people make, that all people make. Every one of you would agree with me if I, if I were to ask you, say, hey, do you feel like the world is in a bad place? Right? Somebody say, give me an answer, anybody. Yeah, amen, okay. Um, uh, yeah, if I were to ask you, I'd say, hey, uh, is the world supposed to be this way? And you go, no. I think you ask the general public if they're uh, close in somewhat of a right mind, they're going to say, hey, it's not supposed to be this way. Christian and non-Christian, it's not supposed to to be this way, and we feel that. But my question when we say that is, how did you come to that conclusion? How did you come to the conclusion that it's not supposed to be this way? Are you sure about that? Well, let me use a little illustration, okay, uh, to help you understand why you have that feeling it's not supposed to be this way. So what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna try to get you to say a word. Let's see if you can figure out word, which word I'm trying to say, okay? So here's the word I want you to try to say. So it's not up, but down, okay? Not left, but, okay? Not black, but, okay? Not hungry, but full. I don't know what somebody, I don't know what everybody said, but I heard some full, and that's right. So here's the thing. You intuitively know the opposite. When I say not left, you go, yeah, right. When I say not black, you say white. You know that there's, there's this opposite. We call this the moral argument. It's this idea that inside of you, God has placed in you this moral understanding that something is not right. You're not, you may not be able to define what white is. Maybe your definition is a little gray. But inside of you, inside of your spiritual DNA, God has placed something in you that says, there is supposed to be a good way, and this is not it. And we feel it. And the problem comes when we try to define it, but the reality is it is there. You feel it. You know it's there. And even though you know it's there, and you know it's not supposed to be this way, here's the truth. You're still a part of why it's not that way. It comes back to you. The world's not supposed to be this way, and one of the reasons why it is is because of you. Romans 7, 18, one of the greatest Christian theologians and church planners probably of all time. His name is Paul. He wrote 
a book called Romans. In Romans chapter 7, he lives in this tension for you. And he says this. For I know that nothing good dwells in me. That is in my flesh. I can't hit the target. I've got the cancer and the virus of sin in me. He says, for I have the desire to do what is right. I, there's this, I know that there's this right, but I do not have the ability to carry it out, is what Paul says. Do you find that to be true for you? First step in being able to understand the gospel is to admit that. That we know it's not supposed to be this way, yet we cannot stop making it that way. 1 John 1, 8 says, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. He goes on in verse 10, John says, if we say that we have not sinned, we make him, that is God, to be a liar who placed that moral code in you and his word is not in us. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So when we look around the world and when you're talking to your neighbors and you're trying to share the gospel with them, when you're trying to remind yourself of the gospel, you have to remind yourself that when you look at the world and say it's not supposed to be this way, you need to connect the dots back to you and realize you're not supposed to do this. You have sinned and you have fallen short of the glory of God. And here's the thing, the greatest truth that we, could, that we need to understand, the thing that we're, we've been trying to cover up, because here's what we try to do with this moral code that we feel inside of us. It brings us shame and guilt. And the shame and guilt that we feel when we're re- the sin is revealed to us can be really heavy. Before I came to Christ, I described it like a, like a gorilla was on my back. Before I understood the gospel, it was like a gorilla was on my back. Guilt and shame because of my sin weighing me down. And we could try to numb it and get rid of it, right? Through substances, you know, lots of experiences, trying to find new philosophies, or just trying to erase the rules. And isn't that what our culture is trying to do? That's what they're trying to do. They're trying to get rid of truth with Novocaine. But the greatest truth that we need to understand about everyone has sinned, that all have sinned, is that the greatest sin, all right, the greatest sin is not murder, rape, child sex trafficking. Those aren't the greatest. If you go out on the streets and say, hey, what's the greatest sin that could be ever done? What is it? They're going to probably say some of those things. Am I right? You think? Something along those lines? The greatest sin that we could ever commit, what is it? Rejection of Christ, that's a good way to say it. You know, Jesus was asked about this, but he was asked in the opposite way. He was asked, what is the greatest commandment? What is the greatest commandment? You want to know what the greatest sin in all the cosmos is? Well, what is the greatest commandment? What's the one commandment? If you break this one, you broke the one. And so they come and ask Jesus in Matthew 22, what is the greatest commandment? But when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together. And one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. Teacher. Which is the greatest commandment in the law? And Jesus said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul and with all of your mind. This is the great and first commandment. You know what's the greatest sin that you have ever committed? It's that you have not loved God. It's that you have not loved God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. You thought it was when you got drunk. You thought it was when maybe you looked at explicit images online. That's not the worst sin you've ever committed. The worst sin, and everyone commits it, is that we have not loved the God who created us. That is the greatest sin. That is our greatest sin. Do you understand that? And when I'm helping somebody understand the weight of sin, it's understanding. It's, it's not just that you did bad things. It's that you rejected God. 
Now, why is that a problem? Well, now we're finally moving on to the second point. If all have sinned, now we're going to move on to our next stop on the road, and that sin has a penalty. Sin has a penalty. Okay, Romans 6, 23, you should absolutely memorize this one. If you don't memorize all 14 that I'm giving you, you're like, what 14? Um, you should memorize this one. Romans 6, 23 says, for the wages of sin is death. What's a wage? It's just income. It's what you've earned. You give two hours. You said you're going to get $5 an hour. What, do you, what have you earned? Ten bucks, right? That's what you've earned. That's your time. You put it in. Uh, the wage of sin, the income of sin is death. What does that mean? Okay. Well, it doesn't mean that, you know, as soon as you sin, you're going to die on the spot. Okay. Thank God none of us would be here right now. We wouldn't have made it this far. All right. My kids would be gone already. My two-year-old would be done for. All right. But the reality is, is that uh, it does inevitably lead to death. And all along the way, it leads to death in our relationships. It leads to death in our expectations. It leads to death in our experiences. All kinds of death. And finally, it will ultimately lead to death. I don't know if you do, knew this, but uh, they ran, a stat company ran a stat to find out uh, what are the odds that you're going to die. You know what they came up with? 100%. Why? Romans 3.23. For all have sinned. And sin leads to death. But that's not the worst part. You need to understand something else. Death is tragic. And it's a result of sin. But after sin, there's something else that's going to happen. Hebrews 9.27. Hebrews 9.27 says this. And just as it is appointed for every man and woman to die once, and after that comes judgment. You know, there's a phrase that people say sometimes. It's like, you know, you know I'm gonna, he's going to meet his maker or whatever that phrase is. Then say it well. I'm a sinner, okay? But the rea- here's the reality, guys. There's 100% chance you're going to die. There's also 100% chance you will meet your maker as the, either the just king or your gracious savior. But you will meet the judge. There will be a judgment. So what Paul says in 3.23 is that all have participated. What he says in 6.23 is it brings death. And in Hebrews 9.27 it says, there will be judgment. You will meet your maker and he will render to you the wages, the income of your sin. It will come to you. Listen, friends, you need to understand this is the greatest motivation for why we share the gospel with others It's not just the freedom, but they will meet their maker and they will receive the wages. If you're in this room and you don't know Jesus, I'm telling you, you will meet him and he will be judged. Now, does God have the right to make this happen? Absolutely he does. Does he have the ability to make this happen? Absolutely he does. He will do it. God, uh, the Bible describes the judgment of God as a wrath that is poured out on us. It's an eternal condemnation. It lasts forever because you've rejected God. It's suffering and anguish to the point of teeth gnashing is what it, the Bible calls it. And you go, man, I don't like that. I don't, it sounds like a really judgy, hateful God. But I want you to think, have you ever hated somebody? Let me ask, have you ever hated anybody? anybody? Raise your hand. Just be honest. Confess your sin for a quick second. Yeah, me. Both hands. If I had, could throw up a third hand, I would. I have hated people. Have you ever felt rage in your heart towards somebody? Yes, you have. Why? Probably because they've sinned against you. They've done something to you. Whether it's an abusive parent, whether it was a spouse or a friend or the guy who cheated you in your business, whatever. You've probably felt rage. Some of us have felt it very deeply within us. Now imagine being this tiny little human being in a multi-billion light year wide cosmos created by one God and turning that God and saying, you know what, we'll take it from here. We don't need you. Are there words to describe the type of rage and justice that should come against us 
that we treat a God that way. God has every right. Listen, death is inevitable. Judgment is eternal. There is a penalty to our sin. Now, and, and because of that penalty, God is, there is being a wrath stored up against us, a just wrath that will be poured out on us. Now, maybe for you, you go, I still don't understand why there's so much wrath. Like, why is God so angry? Why is there going to be this wrath poured out on us? Well, it's kind of like this, okay? Why is there, if this guy is a loving God, why is there so much like this like violent hatred of sin. Well, it's kind of like when I, before I had kids, if you would have asked me if I could have like killed a man, I probably would have been like, yeah, I think so. Okay, that'd be a weird question for you to ask me, but that would probably be my answer. But when I held Olivia for the first time, dads, you know this, right? When I held my daughter for the first time and looked in her eyes, there, there's this amazing and terrifying amount of love that floods into your heart when you hold a kid, when you hold your kid. It's terrifying. It's terrifying. But also with that love comes this unique and new ability to rage for their protection. Not against them. That's true as well. Because I know that's what you were laughing at, Matt. But there is, right? There, there, if, you would, if you would come against my daughter, it, it's not that I'd kill you. I, I think I could pretty much rip your throat out and beat you to death with it. Because there's this love inside of my heart for her. You need to understand that God's wrath is so fierce, so powerful because of our next point. It's this, that Christ paid the penalty. Christ paid the penalty. If you want to see God's great justice and you want to see God's great love, look at this next verse. Romans 5 eight. But God shows his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. God's wrath against sin comes from his love for us. God it rages against sin because it destroys the very thing that he loves. He loves us. But the reality is your sin is so connected to who you are because you are a sinner that to take out your sin is to take out you. And you have rebelled against him and that wrath is going to come on you. But God is so miraculously and powerfully and incredibly in love with you that he was willing to pay the penalty that you deserved by sending his own son and having all that wrath be poured out on him. It's kind of like this. Imagine that all of your sins were written in a book. My book would be a lot bigger than this, but imagine this is you, okay? This is you and this is all of your sin. Your sin is on you. It's all there. And you can do nothing to remove yourself from underneath it. And God is going to pour out just wrath on you. But then what he did was he sent his son Jesus this propitiation. And what happens is when we uh, see what Christ has done and we believe in him, which we're going to talk about here in a minute, what happens is Jesus took all that wrath of our sin and it was placed on Jesus. You understand? And when the sin is placed on Jesus and all the wrath that is caused because that sin is placed on Christ, you are free. It's placed on him. So listen. No place shows God's hatred for sin more than the cross. And no place shows God's love for sinners like in the eyes of the man who was nailed to it. This is the gospel, that Jesus paid the penalty that you deserve. The only unjust thing that God has ever done is that he crucified his son for you. That's injustice. But I love the way John Piper says this. John Piper says it like this. The wisdom of God has ordained a way for the love of God to deliver us from the wrath of God 
without compromising the justice of God. Can you imagine a God who's not just? That would be terrifying. But a God is just, and in his wisdom, he found a way to set free us and still retain his justice. He took it upon himself. That is absolutely amazing. You have to understand that to understand the gospel, and so does your neighbor. But you all, not only do you need to understand that, but you also need to understand the next point. And the next point is this. Salvation is not by works. Everybody say it with me. Salvation is not by works. You need to repeat, yourself, repeat that to yourself every single day because you wake up as a default legalist. What is legalism? Legalism is a very pervasive and popular paradigm. You cannot help it. You don't have to be raised in Western society to be a legalist. You do not have to be raised in a religious family to be a legalist. You're a human being. You're a legalist. Because in this side of you, there's this moral code telling you that it's not supposed to be this way. And you're feeling this weight of failure and success. And am I doing a job? Am I not? And that's what legalism is. Legalism, okay, is an excessive adherence to law or formula. An excessive adherence to law and formula. But you need to understand that the law is good. The law is good, but the problem is we can't keep it. So here's the danger with the law. The danger with the law and what it, what, becoming a legalist, uh, why it's so dangerous, is because you can become, become dependent on the moral law for your approval. Anybody live that way? This guy. You got a fear of failure. People pleasing. Right? How many times do I see somebody like, hey, what's going on? I haven't seen you all. Yeah, 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 I'll be at church. And I'm like, well, I didn't ask you anything about that. But it's because they're a default legalist. They feel this thing inside of them that they're failing. You have that. You feel like, oh, I gotta go to the church services. I gotta give. You know, I gotta pray. I gotta read my Bible every once in a while. I gotta share Christ now. Uh, you know, all these things. And we feel that, uh, the weight of that. And then we live, and if we're doing those things, we go, oh, I'm okay, I'm good. And if we're not doing those things, we go, oh man, I'm such a failure. And so it leads into legalism on one side, but the other response that it's a dangerous thing is you can only sit under that for so long. Am I right? You can only sit under heavy expectations of the law so long before you go in, you leave legalism and you run over to licentiousness. And licentiousness means, you know what? Let's just not even talk about the law Everybody do what's right in your own eyes. Do whatever you want. You do you. We make fun of our culture, but the reality of our culture is responding to the fact that it's so hard to live in legalism. They're just doing a natural thing. But Jesus, look, there's a ditch of licentiousness on one side. There's a ditch of legalism on this side. And God creates this highway right down the middle. And it is wonderful, and you could drive as fast as you want on it, and it is that Christ has paid the penalty, and that salvation is not by works. Listen to this, Ephesians 2, 8, 9. Man, write this down. For by grace you have been saved, through faith. And this is not of your own doing, but a gift of God, not a result of works, so that no man or woman may boast. You got none to be proud of except for what Jesus has done for you. Grace means that he's extended you unmerited favor. It says it's not by any work of yours. In other words, it's, God's not looking at you and go, oh, you went to like 300 church services in your life. Hey, third level of that building behind me in heaven. Get in there, buddy. No. We have done nothing but create the mess. And God has done everything to get us out of it. You understand? God did nothing to cause your mess. We did everything to get ourselves into this mess. God has done everything to get us out. It's by grace and mercy. John 1.12 says this, but to all who did receive him, 
who believe in his holy name, he gave the right to become children of God, which is not the verse I wanted to read. That's the next point. So let me go back up a little bit. Titus 3.5 says, I was wondering, I was like, man, that is not right. Titus 3.5, he says, he saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy by the washing of regeneration and the renewal of the Holy Spirit. Again, it says, you didn't do anything. Jesus did it for you. You were dead in your trespasses and sins, but he loved you and his mercy was extended to you. It was extended to you and he forgave you for your sins. So listen, guys, you've got to understand this point on the journey of the gospel, that you bring nothing. And so if you're a Christian in this room and you've been saved, you still live in the fact that all of your good deeds are just to his glory and all of your sin is still covered by the cross. You're still living in the freedom. It's so much freedom because you're going, I don't have to live under the weight anymore because Jesus cared, took care of it. I don't have to live in the licentiousness because God's way is so much better. I get to just do all this because I want to. I had a, a friend of mine, from, he's from Georgia, and he said it really well. He said, um, God takes your have-tos and he turns them into your want-tos. And that's the gospel. You go, man, I have to do this, I have to do this, I have to do this. And you go over here and you're like, I can't do this and I can't do this. And you get to live in this place and go, I can't do this, but God did it for me. By grace I've been saved and received the mercy. Now, the next question is, how do we get this applied to our account? How do we get this applied to our lives? And the next point is, we must receive Christ. Romans 10, 9 through 10, when you need to know this. When you're talking to a neighbor or somebody, this verse is so important to help them understand what, is it, what does it look like to become a believer? Well, it's right here. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and Lord meaning king, ruler, decides all of how you're going to live, everything. He gets to command from here on out. Nobody else is Lord. He's Lord. He doesn't share it. It's not American government. It's not democratic. It's not three branches holding each other. It's the Holy Spirit. It is God. It is the Father, the Son. And it is God. And he is Lord. Jesus is your Lord. He commands everything. You don't get a vote. He commands. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with the heart that one believes and is justified and it is with the mouth that one confesses and is saved. Why is it all about the heart and why is he talking about the mouth? Well, you need to understand something. The Bible tells us that out of the heart or out of the mouth, the heart speaks. The heart is the center of who you are, okay? A lot of times you want to focus on outside external things and how you dress and how you behave and all these things, but you can never change and fix those things until you change the center of who you are. All you're doing is sin management. But God's saying, does the depths of who you are, your inside man or woman, your heart, do you believe? And when you really believe something, it begins to kick in this domino effect of changing everything from there on out. Jesus says, clean the inside of the cup, not the outside. If you clean the inside of the cup, if the inside of who you are believes that Jesus is Lord, the outside may look like a still a banged up sinner. But God will begin to change that man, change the woman that you are. It begins with belief in our hearts. And then we confess with our mouth, we make this public thing saying, I will follow him in an external, very real world that I'm living in. I'm going to follow him. Because your faith should play out. So then John 1.12, which I read to you earlier, I'll read again. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his holy name, he gave the right to become children of God. We have to receive Jesus. We have to believe in Jesus. And by faith and believing in Christ, that God raised him from the dead. In other words, that he's victorious over that thing that was going to inevitably happen to you. He's victorious over it. Then you can receive that and then you are saved. Now listen, we're believing in the name of Jesus. Names carry weight. Saying that Jesus is Lord carries weight. So 
Right now, you know, my name's Greg, which doesn't maybe carry any weight for you, but, you know, I'm Greg who is a pastor, and that carries some weight. Or my dad's name is Tom, but he's my dad, and that carries some weight. Your, the title dad carries weight. Joe Biden is president, okay, and that carries a weight. Now, you may, you may say, like, he's not my president, but it doesn't matter whether you believe it or not, he still carries the weight of that office. In the same way, whether you believe it or not, Jesus is Lord, and he carries the weight of that office. But if you believe in him and you receive him into your life, then what is in his account is applied to yours. So it's kind of like this. Remember what I said? You have all this sin, right, that's written in this book, and it was placed on Jesus, and he took it from you. But here's the other thing. Uh, Jesus' righteousness his favor with God is also then placed on you. And you're hidden under the righteousness of God. Your life is in his. He takes your sin and does away with it. But when you believe and trust in Jesus, you receive all the uh, righteousness of Christ, the Lord, into your life. And it's applied to you and you are saved. Now, what's the result of that? What does that mean? Well, what it means is uh, that you have peace with God. Romans 8.1. Has anyone heard that? Peace with God. you got to tell your neighbors this, that they can have peace with a God that used to be at war with. Romans uh, 8 or 5.1 says this, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through the Lord Jesus Christ. You have peace with him. And you are justified. The word justified comes from the courtroom. Okay? It means to be not guilty. Now, i got to confess something to you guys. On Monday, I had a warrant out for my arrest. Just got to be honest. Okay? And uh, I found myself... Getting a phone call saying, Greg Brooks, uh, you have a warrant for your arrest. If you cannot be by the, um, uh, the courthouse by 930, um, then I don't know. They didn't say they're coming for you, but it felt that way. Um, so what had happened, you guys were wondering, like, what did you do? Well, I just missed jury duty, which is apparently like the most heinous thing in the whole world. They, they're, they're sending cops out who have full-time jobs getting paid to come find this guy because I missed a jury duty. Okay, either way. So I, I'm like freaking out. I just left the gym. I get dressed. I smell like total, you know, gym stuff. And so like I get in there. I'm sitting there like, you're going to just come in there and sit in the hallway and wait. And the judge is going to come talk to you. And I'll tell you what, fear of failure and people pleasing sits, uh, is really, it's really painful when you're sitting in, that, in the courtroom, right? And you're waiting for the judge to come out and talk to you. And then the bailiff, he comes out and he sees me. And he's like, hey, you're, you're late. And I was like, yeah. And he goes, no, like he laughed at me. He goes, no, you're really late. And I was like, well, I'm not early. Like, so I'm just letting you know, if you keep doing that to me, I'm going to start getting feisty. So I started getting feisty. And so I'm sitting there. I sat there for two hours waiting for them to come out. It's two hours of just like, am I going to get arrested? Am I going to get fined? Like, what's about to happen? Finally, all these other people are showing up and they're sitting there as the second batch of jurors. And this is really cool. Okay. Uh, I'm sitting there waiting and they're like, hey, as soon as like we get everybody out from the first batch, you're going to go in there by yourself and stand before. And all I'm thinking is this woman's going to be sitting in this thing right here. And I'm just going to be looking up, just waiting for mercy. Right. But I was not justified. I hadn't, I didn't put it on my calendar. I was late. I chose to do what I wanted to do. It was my fault. My sin, I guess, if you want to call it. I don't think it's sin. I think it's really dumb that I have to go do that. But you know, it doesn't matter how I see it. But I got in there. And so I'm sitting out there and finally one of the guys in the second batch I'm telling you all this for a reason. I'm not trying to just be funny. But there's a guy in the second batch who is sick. Okay, so he got to go home. And so when the bailiff went back in and talked to the judge, I said, okay, he can take that guy's place and go in. And so I got to jump into this place of this other guy and sit in there for, you know, a few more hours. But that guy got to go free. I got to sit into his place. I left there because I didn't get selected because apparently I looked crazy. 
And I left there in freedom. I left there not having to worry about it. Listen, guys, Romans 3.23, we have all sinned. Every single one of us, me included. Uh, it, there's, a, there's a consequence for that. It's your sin and there's a consequence for it. But Jesus has come and got in our place to set us free from the courtroom where we're going to have to receive the justice that we so deserve. And now you get to go get in your car. You get to drive home. You get to call your wife and go, I am free. I have peace. Right? And I felt the gospel in that moment. And so here's the last thing I want you to understand. I, I got to go home knowing no cops were going to show up at my door and arrest me and take me to jail, right? There's a freedom. I remember Kelly Carnahan, who was a friend of mine, he said, man, you know, when you see a, if you're always driving the speed limit, you see a cop go by, your heart rate doesn't go up, right? I know that when, uh, when I die and I go, have to go see Jesus, I'm not worried that that judgment's gonna bring about wrath on me anymore. I got to sit over here in the back of this room about a year ago and talked about eight Mormon boys who were playing basketball and we ended up talking, and I just can't help myself. I just wanted to ask him questions. And so we started asking questions and talking about the gospel and all these things. And one of the kids told me, it's heartbreaking. He goes, listen, I cannot imagine that if I don't do everything I can, these are his words, I, if I don't do every single thing I can to live a good life, live righteously, like, you know, I can't imagine standing before God. And, I, and, and, and you know, if I was him, I wouldn't even let me in unless I did everything I could. And I said, buddy... It's good to hear you say that. And I said, are you saying that there's judgment that comes after this life? He goes, yes, you're going to stand before this judge. And if you haven't done it, I said, hey, let, let me tell you, Hebrews 9.27 says, you know, that uh, we're going to have to face this judgment. But do you know what Hebrews 9.28 tells you? You guys know what Hebrews 9.28 says? It tells us that Jesus, and I'm forgetting what the quote is right now. So I'm going to, I'm going to read because you need to hear this. Uh, Hebrews 9, 28 says this, and justice is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes judgment. And I told him, hey, you're right. Judgment is coming. And I, and I can't imagine how you're going to stand before that God, but you need to know, so Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, not to deal with sin. Why not? Because he already dealt with it. And I said, hey, buddy, I want to tell you this. Listen, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. You want to know something? And I, and I told these boys, like, guys, I'm not scared of the other side. I'm eagerly waiting for that judgment. And I'm going to stand before God, not because I'm so righteous and so good. I'm going to stand confidently because I know that Jesus is so righteous and so good. And if Jesus says, hey, why should I allow you in? I say, you shouldn't. But because of your grace and kindness, I know you will. Because I have received you into my life. That is it. And when we do that, we have assurance of salvation. We can be assured that we are saved and we can have trust and peace in this life moving forward. John 5, 24 says, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. Isn't that awesome? You don't come into judgment. You're free. And that freedom we need to extend to our neighbors. So I want to talk to you about a few ways that we can share the gospel. I've just shared with you the whole gospel. One more verse would be first uh, John 5, 11 through 13, but I want to wrap this up. And, it's, and this is the testimony that God has given us eternal life and this life is in his son. Whoever has the son has life, but whoever does not have the son does not have life. And John says this, he says, I write these things to you who believe, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. You may know it. Guys, do you know that you have everlasting life in Jesus? Do you know it? Does your neighbor know it? 
If we want to be a church who lives in the city of the hill, then we've got to know the gospel. We've got to know that we're free. We've got to know how to explain the gospel. We've got to know what it is. We've got to know the stops from the beginning to the end, and then we need to tell people about it. Now, how do we do that? Let me give you a few practical ways you can do this. And let me tell you guys, it's really not complicated. There's books on sharing your faith. There shouldn't be 100 pages written on this. The biggest problem is you're just a scaredy cat. You treat men like lions and you treat God like a kitten. And it should be the reverse. Okay? So let me tell you some quick ways you could do this. Number one, if you've received Jesus in your life, you've got a story of what God has done. You knew the gospel enough to come to salvation, then you could tell somebody about it. So here's one way that you could share the gospel with others. Tell them your story. You know who's really good at this? Tommy. I've heard, how many times I've heard Tommy tell somebody, they're like, hey, so where are you from? Or we're from Texas. Like, oh, okay, so do you live here now? Like, yep. You know, I had a broken, and he just instantly, I can almost say what he says. He's like, yep, we had a broken marriage, and, you know, I was living in sin, but God rescued me, and he changed our marriages. We came to Cody because we want to help the marriages of Cody. And he's had people just start crying right in front of him. That's all he said. Right? He's like, we just want to help, we want to tell people about Jesus and help them with their marriages. Use your story. If you have a story of grace, share that story of grace with others. Tell them about that. So number one, if you, if you have a gospel story, share it. And tie the gospel to it. Number two, share the gospel with any story. Share the gospel with any story. You know what? You, how many of you guys know this? When you buy a car, right, before you bought that car, you never saw that car anywhere. But when you buy a car, don't you usually see that car everywhere? I never saw so many silver minivans in my life until I bought a silver minivan. It's unbelievable. They're everywhere in this town. And uh, so that's what happens. And guys, when you live in the gospel, you're going to begin to see it everywhere. You're going to begin to see it everywhere. Live in the gospel. You need to remind yourself of it every day so that you can see it everywhere you go and you can use any story. Let me give you one example. I had a guy come to sell me a home security system. I've told you about this before. I'll tell you again because it's so cliche and awkward. Like he comes in my house and we're sitting on a couch. He's showing me all these cameras and door locks and all these things. I was like, buddy, my house was built in the 50s. Like this is weird. Like, and so at the end of it, though, I go, hey, man, I am so thankful. You are trying to help me protect my family with home security, but can I protect you by telling, telling you about and helping you with your eternal security, right? Zach was at my house. I'm pretty sure he went, oh, like, it's so gross, you know? But here's the thing. I, I like my version of being really awkward and sharing that better than your version of saying nothing. I could talk about the gospel through security systems, through the Premier League soccer, through uh, basketball, through food, through, I mean, you name it. We can get to the gospel. We can get there. If you're sitting in the gospel, you can use anything to get there. And man, it's so fun to do it. And then you can tell stories in front of everybody about how weird you are. Next, another thing you could do, and I want you guys to go look this up. Write this down. Go look up the bridge illustration. I'm not going to show you while we're here because I don't have time to do it. But it's a great way if you're sitting and having coffee to take a pen and take a napkin and show them an image of what their separation from God looks like, their inability to cross that chasm, but how Jesus has done something that is absolutely impossible to get them back into peace with God. Go look that up. It's so easy and simple. All right, the next thing you could do is I would encourage you to memorize uh, or to learn one verse evangelism, okay? One verse evangelism. A great verse I've already given you. It's Romans 6.23. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. With that one verse, you could share the gospel. You could do it. Start there. Memorize Romans 6.23. It's a great way to bring scripture into you sharing the gospel. One verse evangelism. Now, I want to tell you, don't stop there. I want you to practice that, but then I want you to memorize a passage that shows the gospel. Okay, two great passages are Ephesians 2, 1 through 10, and Titus 3, 3 through 5. Okay, a lot of our men in this room memorize Ephesians 2, 1 through 10. Anybody in this room do that? 
They don't want to raise their hand because they're scared I'm going to make them stand and deliver right now. Okay, but it's, you know, you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of the world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, right? Sin. But it says, but God, here, here it comes, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loves us, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And he's raised us up and seated us with him in the heavenly places. That is in Christ Jesus. Uh, I forgot that piece, but then it says 8 9. By grace you have been saved through faith. And it's not of your own doing, it's a gift of God. Not a result of works that so no one be boast. No one may boast. You tracking? I walked through the whole gospel in those verses. Yeah, I messed up, which is another rule I'm going to tell you about, which is you're going to mess up. And that's okay. It's not dependent on you anyways. But you're called to do this, right? And so you could do that. Titus 3, 3 through 5. We ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, slaves of various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy. But when the goodness and kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us. Not by works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy. Okay? I'm doing this in front of you, not to just impress you, but I was a guy that three years ago, I used to say, well, I can't memorize scripture. I can't do it. I wish I could. Right? And then finally somebody came and said, no, actually you can. And it's incredibly beneficial. I've shared my faith more since I memorized scripture than I ever did before. Memorize these passages. Now, here's the other thing I want to tell you. A couple more things. Number one, share this often. Do it often. And the best way to practice is to test it out on believers. Number one, we should be sharing the gospel with each other all the time anyways. When you're in community and you confess sin to one another, I mean, pray for each other, but then remind each other of God's goodness and kindness. The first step after somebody in your community group confesses sin to you is not go, okay, so let's create all these steps why you should never do that again. All right? You don't do that. All right? It's not instantly down low covenantized. What you do first is go, can I remind you of God's grace for that sin that you just shared? Thank you for sharing that, but let me tell you about God's kindness. Tomorrow we'll talk about next steps. You tracking? Practice sharing it with believers, and then go ham on non-believers in this town and share with them. You know what? Toddlers fall on their face a lot, but none of you make fun of them for falling over. What do we do? We go, good job, buddy, right? Maybe you're a toddler at this. It's okay to fall on your face. It's okay to have some scabs on your nose, but after a while, you're going to learn how to do it pretty well, and you'll start saying things about, like, eternal security in the midst of a home security cell. That's going to be amazing. (laughs) Last thing I want you to understand, and this one right here was so monumental for me, it changed everything. You need to understand... Uh, what I, the way I call this is recognizing relationships. Recognize what the relationship is, okay? So I broke it down into four things. There are strangers, there are acquaintances, there are family, and there are friends, okay? And you talk to all of them differently. So you should probably share the gospel differently. Let me tell you about strangers. If I'm on an airplane, okay, and we're flying this airplane, I got two-ish hours with this person. I'm going full gospel beginning to end in that sitting. I may never see him again, Right? Or the plane could go down. I'm sharing the whole gospel while we're sitting there. Now you have, and there are also acquaintances. These are people you come across every once in a while, and you get opportunities. Maybe you sit down and you have coffee once, and you share quite a bit. You share your whole story and the gospel and how it connects. Maybe you go a little, you don't maybe go full send like in a two-hour or a 30-minute thing, but you're going you're gonna to take a little bit of t- a little more time, but you go deeper, okay? But then there are friends, and this is what happens. You, we, you get talked about sharing the gospel. Somebody encourages you. You get motivated. Let's go and be ambassadors for Jesus. And you go out and you wreck your mom, all right? And then it just creates a schism between you and her in a relationship. So with our friends, it should take a little bit of time. And with our family, it takes even longer time. You see, your family knows you. What they're looking for you is not just what comes out of your mouth. They're looking the way you live. So let the gospel change you and let the way you live begin to change and then bear witness slowly as you go. Don't just come and just smack your children 
all right? The with gospel instantly, instantly. You hear what I'm saying? Take your time. I'm telling you this because I think it gives us a lot more peace as we head into these relationships to go in them with a pace and a prayerfulness. If you're on the plane, pray for courage, go full send. At the end of the day, they don't care who you are at the end. Don't worry about what they think about you. Just share it. And with your family, take your time. Walk at a pace. Be an ambassador. It takes time. You hear me? Now, the last thing I wanted to tell you, and this is just another step of freedom. Guys, we could be a city on a hill by sharing the gospel. And I hope you guys will share the gospel this week. I hope, you, I hope my voice is in your head and you're seeing people and you're like, oh my gosh, I gotta do it right now. And just go for it. Just do it. Um, uh, I was told two things. Well, number one, I was told, hey, you never know how many opportunities are there until you're prepared for them. You guys are always praying for opportunities. I'm gonna tell you, stop it. Stop praying for opportunities. You're waiting for God to soft toss it to you. It's not gonna happen. Go make opportunities happen. Are they a human being? That's an opportunity. Go share the gospel. Go get to know them. Okay? Here's the second thing I want you to know. It's not dependent on you. Their salvation is not dependent on your ability uh, to share the gospel. I know that sounds crazy. And I just tried to help you share the gospel better. But you've got to understand that God saves people. But he also uses people. He wants to use you. But I'm amazed at how Zach Adams came to Christ when I was a gong show sharing the gospel with him. I was more terrified than he was. And it was really weird, but God saved Zach. I just got to be a part of sharing the gospel with him. You hear what I'm saying? So I'm, just, I'm only saying that and vomiting on you, that on you with 17, 17 minutes beyond when we're supposed to stop. Just because I want you to be free and not live in the anxiety of like their salvation is dependent on you. But I tell you what, it is a ton of fun when somebody comes to Christ. Every time I see Zach... And I see people come to know Jesus through this church. I just get, I'm, I'm pumped to be a part of it. And I just want more and more and more of it. Amen? Let's be a city on a hill. Let me pray for you. Let's stand and let's sing to our God who's loved us with this gospel. Well, Father, we are so thankful. And um, God, I am thankful that you loved me, a sinner, and gave, and gave your life for me. And I'm so thankful that you didn't just save me, you continue to save me and sanctify me and set me apart and teach me. And I pray for these people who you're doing the same. They are missionaries and pastors and ambassadors of you. I pray that they, their courage and their excitement to share about what you've done will be fueled. They'll stop sitting on the sidelines watching other men get to be a part of this fun and amazing uh, journey that we're on. And they'll get in the fight. And um, Lord, may people in this community See the way we love one another. See that we resolve our conflict, we deal with our stuff, and we make amends and find peace. But may they also see that we have peace with God, a peace that surpasses all understanding. And God, I pray that you would help us to tell them about that peace, bear witness about the light, and say, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away sin. Give them courage, give them confidence, and may many men and women step into glory because of them. I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.